If you have your Bible with you this morning, could you turn with me please to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we're reading together verses 1 through 14. Colossians chapter 3. Last Sunday morning, as most of you are aware, we began a very brief study in the New Testament book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul is writing to this young church in the area of Asia Minor. Colossae was overshadowed, if you remember our study last Sunday morning, by its two large neighbors, Hierapolis on one side and Laodicea was a large and growing city on the other. And Colossians was almost overlooked on a regular basis. But can you imagine what it meant for this congregation to receive an epistle from the Apostle Paul? And I imagine they were so encouraged, so strengthened in their faith, that week after week for probably the next four or five months, they would read Paul's letter to the Colossians, just as we are in the 21st century, asking similar questions. How can we take it? How can we apply it to our lives? How can we equip each other and grow in our faith? And so all of those questions were relevant in the first century, also relevant for us in a downtown context in a 21st century. And so the Apostle Paul begins chapter 3 with these words. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. As we began this series last Sunday morning, not only did I remind you that the Apostle Paul is writing to this small church in Colossae, but he's writing from a Roman prison cell. 
He'd been arrested for his faith. He was about to go on trial for his life. And he's writing to remind this congregation that he's praying for them. He's writing to encourage them. He's writing to strengthen them and equip them to be growing in their faith. And he writes in very warm, practical ways. And in fact, this is known as the friendly epistle. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul has been doing during these first two chapters. And the other point I tried to make last Sunday was this. We know a little about what Paul was writing to the church at Colossae. But what if he was writing to the church at the corner of Washington and Richardson in Greenville? What would Paul write to us this morning? What would he say to us about the context we find ourselves in? And I honestly imagine he would probably in there, probably during his opening chapter, say to you, I realize that the last 14 months have been tough. We had to deal with a global pandemic, a national state of emergency, international travel was banned. At a local level, of course, we had all of the debilitating disruption on education and career and business and the economy. And so many aspects of our lives were simply put on hold for the last 14 months. Now imagine he'd also add this. That as a result, the stress and strain of the last 14 months has caused us to be more cautious and concerned than we would normally be. If you're anything like me, I suspect I'm not going to trust as easily as I once did. And that caution and concern now comes to the fore in me much quicker than it used to. It seemed that bad news outpaced good news, problems outnumbered solutions. At times in the last 14 months, uncertainty, fear, concern dominated every aspect of our lives. Some of us lost family members. Others of us are still wrestling with the debilitating aftershock that COVID brought into our lives. It was a tough 14 months. And if Paul was writing to us today, I also suspect he'd be saying this. But you made it. You persevered in prayer. At times you had to dig down deep for a measure of commitment and dedication. And you moved right on through one of the most difficult periods in the last 30 or 40 years. And you're here. And now it's time to look forward. And now it's time to focus on who we are becoming rather than where we have been. And so the Apostle Paul would be writing to say, well done. You've got there. And that's exactly what he's saying to the church in Colossae in those first two chapters. He spends, as Paul often does, the first two chapters of his epistle, and this is what's called one of the New Testament patterns of 
Pauline epistles, he often reminds his readers in those first two chapters of all that God has done for them, all that Christ has accomplished for them. And then he says, and in light of this, now live out your faith. Grow and mature as you seek to apply it to your life day by day. And so in this brief series, we have the overall title, Thriving Amidst Change. And change is coming back our way. Restaurants are beginning to open once again. Cinemas are opening. No longer seeing the restrictions of masks in and around as we interact with others. We're getting back to some measure of normality. And in the midst of this change, once again, how do we as individuals and as a congregation thrive in our faith, grow in that faith, put it in a more central position in our lives? And as we ask those questions, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul addresses in chapter 3. And notice the opening words where he's been talking about all that Christ has accomplished for them. Notice what he says. And he's been reminding them at the end of chapter 2 that he has brought them from spiritual death now to spiritual life. And as the gospel has impacted and transformed their lives, he's reminding them of the deep abiding intimacy they have in Christ. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then set your minds on things above, not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory and then he becomes intensely practical having spent the last two chapters talking of all that Christ has done he then becomes intensely practical and notice what he says And notice the strength of his language. He says, since you belong to Christ, since he's touched you and transformed you and enabled you to come into a relationship with him and walk with him each day, he then adds, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with all of its practices and have put on the new self. Now, why is Paul going into so much detail, phrase after phrase, line after line, verse after verse, one of the most practical sections of the entire epistle? Because what he's saying to the folks in Colossae is exactly what he's saying to us in the 21st century. He's saying, if you are ever to live out your faith in genuine, credible manner, your walk must equal your talk. 
With Christian belief comes Christian behavior. And not out of a sense of duty. Not out of a sense of, Ah, well, if I must. But out of a sense and a reflection of your love for Him. Earlier we saw in the video a plea for enhancing and developing and growing our marriages. And in any relationship there must be that bond of love and respect and care and concern and sensitivity to the other person. Likewise in your relationship with Christ. I know certainly in my relationship with Ruth, I am never going to argue with Ruth in front of Michael. I'm never going to say anything to put her down in front of anyone else or ever be critical of her in public or even among family and friends. I'm just never going to do that. Why? Because I love her. Likewise with Christ. Having felt his touch on my life, having been pulled into a relationship with him like you, I love him. I grow more and more in love with him each day as you do, as you grow and mature in your faith. And as you grow and mature in your faith, part of your relationship with him as a reflection of your love for him, your walk will equal your talk. That's the point he's making. He's saying, put to death, therefore, that which belongs to your earthly nature, the person you once were. Put it to death. Take it off. Lay it down. Put on your new self. I'm sure I've told you this before. When I was five years old, living in Scotland at the time, my mother was a prodigious knitter. And she knitted for us. I was one of five children. She knitted grey school socks. I had a grey school sweater. I had a grey school scarf. And I had grey mittens that went inside my coat. And so when I was sent off to school at five or six each morning, I would have on my long grey woolen socks. In Scotland, we boys did not wear long pants till they were 10 or 11. And so I had on long school shorts, which were also grey. Then I would have on a vest and then a shirt and then my grey hand-knitted sweater from my mother. I'd have my school tie on. Then I would have to put on my blazer. Then I would put on my coat. And then my mother would put on the scarf, cross it, put it at the back, and then pin it to the back of my coat. And as a result, I headed off to school walking pretty much like this, especially during the winter months. And then she knitted for me a hat. And when I was growing up, it was called a balaclava. And it came on over my head. And the only thing you could see was my face. And then she would pull the hood up and bring across the clasp. And so I would go off to school like this. Now, on one occasion, I was crossing the road with my brothers and sisters. I wasn't paying attention, and I got hit by a car. I wasn't seriously injured, and I'm convinced I wasn't seriously injured because of the clothes I was wearing at the time. I got bumped, fell down, and pretty much bounced back up onto my feet again. And eventually, the driver got out very apologetic, took me home, uh, and all was fine. But the Apostle Paul here is using that analogy of clothing. 
And he's saying, take off your old self as you would take off old clothes. Abandon them, leave them, put them down. And put on your new self, new motivations, new desires, new hopes and dreams, new way of living, new way of speaking, new way of thinking, new way of praying, a new relationship with Christ genuine authentic faith and with that new relationship comes what a new way of life put to death therefore the old life having said all of that let me give you a challenge this morning and i'll come back to the challenge or at least remind you of it at the end of our study this morning and here's my challenge Because you may be sitting there saying, Richard, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I get the theory. But give me something to do. Oh, here it comes. Is there just one area in your life? You may have several areas in your life that you have been praying about and need to change. And if you're anything like me, there are a ton of areas in my life that I need to have more Christ-like. And I sometimes use the multiplicity of them to let myself off the hook. Occasionally the Holy Spirit will tap me on the shoulder and say, Richard, there's one particular area I need you to change. I'm going to be right there with you, equipping you, strengthening you, enabling you. I'm not asking you to do this on your own. But let's begin to deal with these areas one at a time. Don't try five or six because that will never happen. But try one this week. And here's my challenge. Is there one area in your life where God has been getting your attention and saying to you, that really needs to change? Is it relational dynamics in your marriage that we heard about? Is it relationship with adult children? Someone at work, parents, grandchildren? Is it your prayer life? Is it your thought pattern? What is that one area that this week you will say, by the grace of God, I'm going to focus on, going to put it to death, deal with it, break that habit, and then move on. That's the appeal Paul is making. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he looks at it in great detail. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. And it becomes very practical. This week, Father, what is the area in my life that needs to change? Father, help me to deal with this because it's a sensitive area for me. It's a painful area for me. It's that one area I have been avoiding dealing with. Help me by your grace to deal with it and be a better Christian as a result. All of that is wrapped up here. It is not easy. But he promises the Holy Spirit to help and assist us. Put it to death, not in our own strength, but by his enabling. And then, of course, he makes the point, take off your old self. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself as all, of all things as these. 
in the way you used to walk. And please hear me when I say this. That sometimes on Sunday mornings the temptation for us is to focus only on our relationship with Christ. Now that's not a bad focus. We've been doing it for the first ten minutes of our study this morning. And it's healthy and it's good for us. But our relationship with Christ is the foundation upon which we build and then live out our lives. And if we are taking our faith seriously and saying, Father, show me that one area I need to change. Help me in growing in my faith. Mature me. Because please hear this. Whenever you are willing to step up And commit yourself to changing your relationship with Him in terms of going deeper. Changing your lifestyle. That will not be easy. That's hard. That's tough to do. But with the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit, He moves us on. But please hear this. Whenever you take that step of faith, you will discover that you're being challenged. Challenged in your thought process. What is the point? Just let it go. It's no big deal. Nobody cares about that kind of thing these days. Ever had those sorts of thoughts? That's exactly what will go through your mind. When you start to take a stand for Christ, when it comes to honesty, integrity, transparency, changing your language, showing accountability, That will be challenged. There's no question. Because hear me when I say this. Not only is there a battle going on for your own heart and soul. There is a battle going on for the moral and supernatural values and standards of this nation. Please hear that. Our Christian faith is not simply a personal thing, although it certainly is that. But when we live out that faith, when we actively pray for our city, when we say that Christian values and standards are important in our culture, we're going to face some pushback. I mentioned this to you several years ago now, probably not that long, three or four years ago when we focus for several Sundays on how do we as Christians live out our faith in a 21st century cultural context. And I mentioned this, that sociologists and anthropologists would say that culture is the shared beliefs and values, conventions and social practices of a subgroup or society. And when that society shapes the raw material and experiences of daily living and rearranges it in an order to express that which is meaningful, good, true, important and impactful, we are shaping the culture and in turn the wider culture is shaping us. Ever felt that cultural pressure? Most of you are aware that the word culture, when we talk of culture, initially rose into common usage in the 17th century. It was attached to agriculture or horticulture. 
And in essence, it meant this. When a farmer was ploughing a field back then, he was what? Cultivating the soil. He was growing something that would be nutritious. He was producing produce to sell, to feed families and individuals. And that's where culture came from, cultivating the land. It was around the 19th into the 20th century before we used the word culture in relation to education and art and music. And that's where we think of it today in the 21st century. And yet for us, we live in a day and age where things like Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Zoom, WhatsApp, provide the soundtrack of our daily living. And by that I mean this. We are now at a stage where we have a mild addiction to a digital playground. For us, meaning and significance is dependent on how many people text us or email us or phone us. And we're somehow pulled into the belief that the convenience of a digital playground is all that we have. When we have a question, we Google it. We have an instant answer. We want to reach out to someone. We text them. They text us back, and it happens just like that. And the temptation for us is then to think that our relationship with God is just like that. It's super convenient. It's super easy. When I want to plug into my relationship with him, I can. When I want to go on and spend an hour with my 479 closest friends on Facebook, I can do that. And then we begin to realize that technology is so convenient that we plug in and out whenever we wish and we can do it anonymously. But please hear this. You can never develop a relationship with Christ through anonymity. Intimacy doesn't come from anonymity. And here is the Apostle Paul saying, if you are ever to grow in your faith, if you are ever to mature in your faith, your walk must equal your talk. Your life must change. You have to live up to Christian standards. And as Paul continues to develop it, notice what else he says. He says, put on the old, the new self, get rid of the old, and then, very in practical terms again, verse 8, you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and its practices and have put on the new, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, kindness, gentleness, humility. When you begin to take the raw material of your life, your thought process, your speech, your daily habits, and begin to move them in a Christ-like direction, 
That's when you're beginning to grow in your faith. When you begin to take it seriously and go home this morning or this afternoon, and then tomorrow comes and you're still praying, Father, show me that one area in my life that needs to change. Enable me, equip me to be living out my faith in a serious manner. Put to death the person I once was, and to live for you, then you're taking it seriously. That's how you apply it. And before we finish this passage, it's worth reminding ourselves that as a church, we also ask similar questions. How can we possibly be the best congregation we can be in this downtown location? What kind of church are we going to be in a year or 18 months or five years or 10 years? How will we genuinely be a people who are winsome and gracious, who stand for Christian values and standards, who take seriously things like honesty and integrity and accountability and character and prayer and worship and holiness. When was the last time you heard someone talk about holiness? A desire to be Christ-like, a deep desire to be more like Him. And as a result, of course, it impacts us. What kind of church will we be who will stand firm in a winsome, godly manner for these standards and values? Because the culture and society around us will say, you are primitive and archaic and narrow-minded in your views. And we say, no, Christian principles and standards matter. Moral standards matter. We believe in chastity. We believe in purity. We believe in faithfulness within a marriage. We believe in spiritual excellence. And some Sunday mornings we're going to deal with tough and sensitive issues as a congregation. As they arise in Scripture, we're going to deal with them. We're going to seek to apply them to our lives. Not simply because we want to say, isn't it awful what the culture is doing? No, we're doing the opposite. We are saying we are part of this culture. And we have the opportunity to shape and fashion and influence that culture. But we'll do it in a Christian manner. That's the point Paul is making in the first century. He is saying, impact your city. Impact the empire of Rome. That's the point he's making. As God's dearly loved chosen people, therefore, put on your new self. Live out your faith, but do it with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And some Sunday mornings we'll deal with tough stuff. Sin is dark. It's distasteful. It creates havoc in our world. Domestic violence, human trafficking, drug and alcohol addiction, marriages falling apart. People so lonely they have convinced themselves that life is meaningless. God doesn't exist only to discover His love and grace, transforms and renews. 
And not only do we do it on an individual basis, we do it on a national basis. We pray for the arts and theatre and medicine and law and education because we care about our society, we care about our community, and we do so in a Christ-like manner. That's the call that Paul is making. And as we get back to some measure of normality, we are thriving in the midst of change, We do so in a Christ-like sense. One more challenge, or a reminder of our challenge rather, and a conclusion. Challenge number one. This week, prayerfully, carefully, seriously, Father, highlight for me that one aspect of my life that needs to change. If I need to go to someone and apologize, let me do so. If it hurts me and inconveniences me to be more Christ-like this week, so be it. But allow me, please, to take off the old self and put on the new. Secondly, prayerfully, Father, allow us to be a church that provides for folks a secure spiritual home where they're welcomed, encouraged. Allow us to be winsome and outgoing, serious in our faith, growing in our faith, but welcoming all in order that we in turn might influence that culture and society around us rather than taking the standards of the culture and the society and applying them to us, let us go the other way and rejoice in our city, delight in living in a 21st century, and seek to be Christ-like as we do. Hence, Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you for its call in our life in very practical ways. Enable us, please, this week to return to this passage, to read over it again and again, to dwell within its verses and seek to apply it to our lives. Father, thank you that you have called us to be your people for such a time as this. And let us take up the challenge we've heard this morning in order that we might grow and mature in our faith. Father, bless us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.